we, we haven't done a llama talk in a long time. Who can tell me what that Hebrew word llama means? Llama. It means why. <laughs> llama. That's a very useful word. And knowing the word why will get you a long, a long ways in life, won't it? If you're in Israel, just, say, just ask llama over and over. You think about children, hey? Little kids, you know, when they're two or three years old. Why, Daddy? Why, Mommy? They ask why about everything, hey? And you say, well, because of this. Well, why that? Well, because of this. And it's funny, it's like, just because, you know? But, um, so that's a good word to use, llama. Llama means why. And, you know, our llama talk, sometimes I talk at the beginning about why we do things the way we do, hey? And I have one for you today. My llama talk topic today is, uh, why do I not tuck in my shirts? Just joking, that's not, that's not it. But in case you have wondered, it's because I have this, like, this mic, right? And some, I have to hand it over to Genevieve during our dance times and stuff. And, it's, and then you know, we hook it up for the reading, and it's just painful if you have your shirt tucked in to try and get your mic underneath that, right? So I don't tuck in my shirts. I, I hope it doesn't seem too irreverent to anybody. <laughs> I'm joking. The real, the real topic for today is uh, why... When we started reading the second half of the New Testament this year, did we start in the, the, uh, the epistle of James instead of the epistle to the Romans? Did any of you notice that? And uh, we're going to have a short historical overview of that. I think, I think you'll find something to, a little fascinating about that. Um, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the scriptures, you could, you could say that there are a couple of main sections, like in the, in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant scriptures, um, you, have, uh, you have the Gospels and Acts. Then you have the, uh, the 14 letters of Paul. You have the seven, they're often called Catholic epistles. That's the Greek term for general. They're the general epistles to the, uh, the general body of believers. And uh, we are, as you noticed, we started reading the general epistles by men like James and Peter before we began reading Paul's epistles. And uh, maybe, maybe you were like, what's going on here? Why do we have the the cart before the horse or something. So let, let's have a look at that. You, you could see that these seven letters that we started reading as we're reading through the second half of the apostolic scriptures in uh, this year in our annual readings, they're, they're written by, by, by James, by Yaakov, by, by Peter, by uh, John, and by Jude. They're, 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 like I mentioned, they're the general epistles. They're also slightly more Jewish. If you, if you read them in their context, you can hear those Hebrew underpinnings in terms of how they think, in terms of how they express themselves, in terms of some of the values that they communicate. You know, James, he's big on works, would be a classic example. That's a classic Jewish pragmatic approach, right? Um, that, would be, that would be a little example of that. You, you could say that uh, these letters are distinctly Jewish. Why? Because they were written by... Uh, quite traditional Jews who were Messiah's emissaries to the Jewish world. That's the, I, I like the term emissary. It's like the equivalent of apostle. Sometimes it makes more sense, especially if you're communicating with the Jewish audience. Yeah, exactly, an ambassador. That's an excellent word also. Then we have the 14 letters by Paul, who was also a traditional Jew, but had a different mission. He was Messiah's emissary to the non-Jewish world to the uncircumcised, the Gentile nations, right? And so as a result, there are some slightly different fo- um, focuses, foci in there. Here's a, here, here's a quote for you from eminent New Te- Testament textual scholar Scrivener in his introduction to the criticism of the New Testament. Quote, Whether copies contain the whole or a part of the sacred volume, the general order of the books is the following. Gospels, Acts, Catholic Epistles, Pauline Epistles, Apocalypse. So that's, that's Grivner, a famous 
um, New Testament scholar. Interestingly enough, the oldest manuscripts available of the New Testament would include like the Vaticanus, the Alexandrinus, and uh, the Codex Ephraim. And in all of them, they position the books in that order. In all of the earliest ones, they have the general epistles before the Pauline epistles. Hmm, isn't that interesting? I wonder, how, how did things change over time? Why did they change? Uh, let's, let's have a look at that in just a moment here. I'll, I'll read you another couple of quotes uh, suggesting the original order of manuscripts in the New Testament. Athanasius said that the order was, quote, the four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, the seven general epistles, the 14 epistles of St. Paul, and the Revelation of John. Uh, Leontius of Byzantium mentioned the order as Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts of the Apostles, the seven general epistles, the epistles of Paul, and the Apocalypse. So, same idea. Uh, John of Damascus, who was born uh, around 675 CE. He's the author of the standard textbook on dogmatic theology for the Greek church, referred to the manuscript order of the books as the proper one, this original one. Uh, without qualification, he stated that the seven general epistles must be placed right after the book of Acts. So according to a lot of the early church fathers, they said, after you finish reading the Gospels and Acts, hit James right away. Read the general epistles first. This was the, this was the general feel. Um, Eastern churchmen supporting this order of books included Cassiodorus and Nicephorus. I'm sure you've all heard these names many times before, haven't you? Uh, this, is like, this is kind of sounding like an upper-level seminary talk, but you know what? I mean, hey, you know, um, Jewish people are smart. And so I'm kind of giving you some smartness this morning, right? It's going to wake our brains up this morning. But there's, 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 there, we're going to get to a practical application of this, okay? In a little historical overview. Um, also, uh, these guys were followed by sto- stoichiometry from Cotelarius in the 800s and Gecumenius in uh, 950 CE. The Bishop of Thessaly, who wrote a short copy of verse on the New Testament, um, also uh, he did that in the same order. Here's one more interesting thing here. Uh, we had talked a couple weeks ago about how the Western Church has always read from the Greek New Testament, and the Eastern branches of Christendom have always read from the Aramaic New Testament. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, then you've heard some Aramaic. You even hear uh, Hebrew names like Yeshua in Aramaic. Uh, that's just what he's called in Aramaic, just like he is in Hebrew. They're, they're closely related. I, I have here a copy of the Aramaic copy of the New Testament, the Peshitta. It's a, I've studied through it and really enjoyed it. It has the Aramaic written in Hebrew letters on the right-hand side and then a Hebrew translation on the left. If you uh, look at the order of this, for instance, you'll see that right after the Gospels and Acts, they have the general epistles, um, the ones that we're currently reading through. So here's the question. If you open your Bible, you'll see that the manuscript order isn't, isn't in our Bibles the way it used to be. The question is, how did that happen? Who changed it? Why? <laughs> Here, here's a quote from uh, E.W. Bollinger. Have any of you? Maybe you've read his, his companion Bible. Excellent scholar. Great notes in there. He has a, over a hundred uh, like, uh, very rich little appendixes in the back. I referenced a couple of them last Shabbat where we talked about some places where the, the Jewish scribes actually changed things in the Torah. To make where, where it didn't fit their theology. We, we, we learn about that in uh, the appendixes of E.W. Bollinger's uh, Companion Bible. Anyway, here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a quote from him in Appendix 95. He says, Our English Bibles follow the order as given in the Latin Vulgate. This order, therefore, depends on the arbitrary judgment of one man, Jerome, 
All theories based on this order rest on human authority and are thus without any true foundation. So let me say, I affirm the authenticity and the complete authority of the New Testament as we have it. We're just talking about which letters go in which place, right? Um, you heard him mention Jerome there. Jerome was like the brainchild of the early Catholic Church. He uh, translated the Bible into Latin, called the Latin Vulgate. Um, very, very well-educated man. He, uh, he lived from AD 382 to 429. And you can thank Jerome for pulling a little switcheroo with the general epistles and the epistles of Paul. Uh, generally, the current order of manuscripts that we have in the New Testament is called the Hieronymic Order, after Jerome. Kind of sounds like something you'd shout as you jump out of an airplane with your parachute on your back, hey? Hieronymic! <laughs> kind of like Geronimo. Maybe that's how you could remember it. Everybody say Hieronymic. Hieronymic. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> when did Jerome pull the switcheroo on the manuscripts? In the 400s. And, and get this. Even after the original manuscript order was supported by the clerics, at the Eastern Church Synod of Laodicea in 365 CE and further maintained by Cyril, Bishop of Jerusalem. Jerome still decided to switch the books. Here's the question. Why did he do it? Hmm. Here's, here's, here's a clue. Another early church historian, Philastrus, had this to say, that the seven general epistles must be positioned before Paul's. Why? Because in Galatians 1.17... Paul said that the Jewish apostles were, quote, before me. So, uh, Philostrus points out here, and this was understood, that there's this, uh, this body of the apostles who were sent more to the Jewish world, and then there was Paul and some of his colleagues who were sent more to the non-Jewish world. And both were equally important, both had a mission. But Paul said the Jewish apostles were before me. And so there's, there's this uh, thing here. Philostrus said that's why the epistles were originally... Um, organized as they were. You could, you could say that Jerome's order exalted Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles to a rank above that of the apostle to the Jews. It also exalted the book of Romans, which is the foremost of Paul's letters, and correlatively the city of Rome, to a higher status in the New Testament order. The Hieronymical order scholars would generally uh, agree, is clearly sectarian. It's obvious that it was adopted for political reasons. There was some serious politics going on in the 400s, hey? Putting the book of Romans right after Acts instead of James, it, uh, it, it wasn't just switching some books around. It was a pretty charged scenario. Um, Jerome definitely had some motives for doing that that I think were less than, you know, in the best interests of maintaining historical consistency in the New Testament manuscript order. Um, actually, Jerome and Augustine after him um, both adopted this novel arrangement with the thinly veiled intent to exalt Rome and its theology over Jerusalem and its theology, and to exalt Rome over the authority of the Eastern churches who were not as keen on Rome's leadership over all of Christendom. Uh, the textual scholars of the last century have been fully aware that this arrangement by Jerome was simply the one preferred by him and willfully devised to exalt the so-called Gentile epistles of the New Testament into a primal position over those which had more, quote, Jewish characteristics. Why don't Bible translators restore the books to their original order is a question maybe we could be asking. I mean, Bible translators know this, right? They know that Jerome pulled a switcheroo on the manuscript order in the, in the 400s. I don't know. There are probably quite a few reasons for it. Sometimes I think we like to just... You know, if, if you do something three times in a row, then it becomes tradition and it becomes right. And you can't question it, right? 
I mean, we probably do that too at our congregation. We've only been meeting for a little over a year. So I don't know, maybe it was for tradition. I don't know, when you start changing the, the order of the New Testament manuscripts, it might not become as popular with the public. Maybe that was an aspect of it. Maybe some Bible translators support uh, Jerome's ideology. Who knows? I, I can't say for sure. There are probably various reasons. But here, here's the conclusion on a practical level. When you read the New Testament manuscripts in their original order, you encounter James, you encounter Peter, you encounter John first, these, these pillars of the early apostolic body. And uh, you encounter certain things that prepare you for understanding Paul's letters in their context. James says works are important. There is a place for works in the life of the believer. He talks about gazing into the Torah, the law of God, the, the complete Torah that brings freedom. Um, then we read, we read Peter, and it's actually something we're going to be reading today. Peter actually includes a warning in his second letter about Paul and how easy it is to misunderstand Paul. So we get a heads up there. We move on to John, and we start reading where John speaks very favorably about keeping the commandments of God. Again, a very pragmatic Jewish approach to our, our faith expression, uh, we read where John talks about how the definition of sin is, uh, is anomia, it's, a, it's lawlessness, or, 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 doing a li- doing our, or doing our faith life outside the parameters of God's Torah. And uh, it's only after we read these foundational apostles and their epistles that we reach Paul's letters. And then we're able to understand Paul in context. And we don't end up throwing any babies out with the, with the bathwater, which is, which is possible to do when you just read Paul outside the context of the rest of scriptural testimony. So that's our Lama talk for today. Um, I, I think that probably either really got your brain sizzling or it put you half to sleep. Because <laughs> I, I know those are, those are a pretty serious series of, of quotes and, and facts there and some thoughts from me. But that, that is why this year... You know, we read through the Gospels and Acts last year. We're reading through the rest of the Apostolic Scriptures this year. That's why, we're, that's why we started with James. That's why we're in Peter now. And you know what? I'm really looking forward to getting to Paul. He was a phenomenal apostle. His heartbeat for knowing Messiah was, was something that I really admire. So that's going to be great too. Shalom. I'm Izzy Avraham. And thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.